Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Robbie Hicks. And I'm Lockie Bradford. And on today's episode, we have big bad Michael Starkey. Uh, he's just doing some things at uh, Athena Home Loans. He's, um, to be honest, this is probably one of our better podcasts, I reckon. I'm, my mind's blind. I can't even talk. He's doing some things. He's the COO, CFO and co-founder. And I'll tell you right now, uh, Athena Home Loans, AFR ranked the most innovative companies. Uh, they're doing crazy, crazy things. They're changing the game. Their brand is insane for for what they do. You don't. You, it's not been well, it's done. Or not seen before it's in Australia hard. before. Yeah. Well, honestly, I, he blew my mind. We were sitting there the whole time, kicking each other under the table, going, "Oh my fucking god!" Uh, he's a machine. Such a nice dude, too. Very genuine. And some of the stories and some of the advice and tips he gives in here is just off the fucking chain. I think it's one of those things. Like if, if you're working in a company that is in a regulated industry, how do you still move at pace? How do you still move? With the customer focus, how do you still keep all the good stuff and the essence of a startup but work in a heavily regulated environment? I think Athena really setting the trends and and creating a pathway, navigating, pioneering a pathway for other companies to follow here in Australia. So uh, bring a notepad and pen and, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Michael, thank you so much for jumping on and chatting with us today in the studio for the Funny Business Podcast. For those at home listening, tell us who are you and what do you do? Well, firstly, thanks for having us, Robbie and Lucky. Michael Starkey, co-founder, COO and CFO for Athena Home Loans. And if you haven't heard of Athena, we're trying to make an impact in the uh, Australian mortgage scene. And also a semi-pro golfer, you were telling us <laughs> off air, yeah? <laughs> that, is an, uh, that is a complete lie there. Let's not, uh, let's not get off to the start like that. Uh, lucky, <laughs> I am uh, an absolute hack, but I am down here for a golf weekend, which is looking more and more likely to be rained out, unfortunately. Well, we're really excited. You are now number four of uh, people, a person who have come through our studio. This is something that, and literally all within the last 24 hours, we've had recording this space. So we're excited to be able to sit down and chew the fat, and it's a lot nicer doing this rather than over a Zoom call. How has life been for you? Like you mentioned, your co-founder uh, is up in Sydney. What's mm-hmm. life like being through this COVID time? Yeah, it's interesting. And look, you know, we're, I'm the last person to really complain if you think about the impact that COVID's had for people all around the world. You know, we, we're lucky enough to have a lot of space where we are, um, a lovely family. We've, in some ways, there's been a silver lining. We've been able to spend more time together as a, as a family unit and all the rest, um, taking a break from travel every week. I was going to Sydney most weeks because we're based up in Sydney and I live in Melbourne um so and we've you know we've been able to work from home pretty well so the COVID hasn't it's been very frustrating on the social side not being able to get out and see friends and and family but um you know as far as personal impacts yeah I I really can't complain I just think it's like one of those things of if you work in tech or you've been lucky enough to work in the the tech space where your life has been relatively Unchanged right. r- rather than just doing a few Zoom calls. I feel like I've a couple of times I'm like, just shut the fuck up. Yeah, you know, your life's all right. That's exactly right. But hey, let's talk, let's talk about um, one of the things I want to get into is we were stalking back preparing for this chat, and you were originally one of the co founders of iSelect. Mm, that's right, yeah. When was this? Tell us about it. Yeah, so I went to uni with a guy called Damien Waller, and he was the driving force behind uh, iSelect. He, he and I studied engineering together at Monash way back in the, in the early 90s. And Damien, um, he got a job at JB Weir, I think, for, out of uni, and I was doing business consulting. I was a, a strategy consultant. And he approached me, and it was during the whole dot-com um, boom. And you guys are probably too young to, to remember all this shit. But, uh, you heard about it, yeah. <laughs> so, all the, so people were making crazy money doing really crazy things, and he was seeing it all because he was at the private wealth desk at, um, 
at Weirs there, and um, he called me up. He said, "We've got to brainstorm. We've got to uh, we've got to start a business." And I've got some ideas. And we started meeting once a week in town and brainstorming different ideas. And, and one of them was a stupid idea around Y2K. I mean, that was the sort of nonsense we were talking about. But he had this idea. And he had lots of ideas, actually, by the way. But um, he had just gone through this insurance piece and it had been a pest for him. And, and um, there was someone doing a version of Isolate where you wrote in on a piece of paper, believe it or not. And she was very successful. She was, she'd made tons of money, but you had to post in, a, a, you know, a paper form and then she would process it and recommend their insurer and get back to you uh, with snail mail. That's, that's, that was late night. That was 1999. And, um, you know, and then round about that time, Peter Costello, who was the treasurer at, at the t- uh, of Australia, he came out with, um, you know, the number of Aussies who were privately insured at the time had gone from 40% all the way down to, let's say, 30%, I think, uh, from memory. And he came out with... Um, like a triple shot in the arm for the private health insurance industry, which was, you know, the lifetime uh, rate uh, rating, which meant you'd get, you know, you'd have to pay, your premiums would go up over time if you didn't get insured by the age of 30. He gave, came up with a Medicare surcharge. Like there were about three and a 30% incentive there. And we said, let's get on it. And, and we started that business. But, um, and, and there were four, there was more or less four of us. But I never, I mean, apart from helping to raise the seed round, and um, tr- signing up the first couple of insurers and getting involved in that scene, I never actually quit my job and built the business with him. So it was kind of an itch that I didn't scratch, that whole business building part. And at the time, my employer was sponsoring me to go off and study my MBA overseas and all this. So it was just too much for me to quit my job and do it. So even though I co-founded it, I never actually – I can't take credit for actually building the business. That was Walla. Yeah. Yeah. Is he still there now? Are the people no, still there he, now? Like what what no, what happened? He's, he's long gone. No, he he took it all the way to 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 um to listing in uh, uh, must have been 7 or 8 years ago and he did really well out of it but eventually he he left and sold everything. I don't think he's I've probably got more shares in Isolate now than Waller. Um and he he got out of there. Yeah. So how important is it then like like an idea like that you get the call and it's like, well, why why would he choose to to pick you, what you guys sort of friends? Did you did you know that you sort of had complementary skill sets, and it was like, oh yeah, I can definitely do it with with Starkey. Get him involved. Yeah, and I think it was um, I think it was that circle of people who um, were doing interesting stuff in the in the business world at the time. So uh, and that and it was really one of um, you know just trust and mutual respect. I think. I mean, we and we were sort of um, we were friends at uni and and and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's. It is the it is the personal connections the people you know, right? Well, sounds like you've been in like we, one of the things we had on, on the list to talk about is like we see you as like an industry veteran. You've been there, you've done that, you've been around the traps, you've been involved in things for a good stint of time. What are some of the things that uh, you've noticed change? Are there trends that are different from the days back in raising capital for Isolate down now, going through a similar sort of process with Athena? Take us through that journey of how you yeah. went from Isolate to Athena Home Loans. Yeah, so um, so Isolate. As I said, I was right at the start of my career. I didn't actually. I was actually a strategy consultant for thirteen years, and I travelled all around the world. Didn't really have a fixed address for the first eight years of my career. Um, and so, but the, the the big difference now. And then I was at NAB in a big corporate for uh, eight and a half years or something before um, co-founding Athena with with Nathan, who I met at NAB. Um, 
so I was um, so my career was sort of largely global strategy consulting and then corporate job at NAB with a flavour of entrepreneurial stuff early on, which I didn't really, um, as I said, I didn't really scratch the itch. The big difference, you know, where the Australian scene has got to in the last ten years is is fundamentally different, right? And you guys would know it with the stories that you cover. You know, it, it's only in the last five or, or ten years that the likes of the Blackbirds and the Square Pegs and the Air Trees have emerged as really um, scale funds. And you can now do a round. And as Thien has done, you know, we've we've raised more than two hundred million bucks worth, and we haven't had to go um, to you know to big overseas VCs or anything. You can now do that in the Australian scene with very strong backing from not only VCs but the super funds and the like. And that just wasn't the case back in in um, well, when, certainly when we founded iSelect. And when, um, you know, the likes of Paul Bassett, who, who's, who founded Seek, uh, and he's on our board, when he, he talks about the Seek journey, that sort of access to the maturity of the, the startup ecosystem in, in Australia now versus, I would say, 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago, but even 10 years ago, it's, it's just come a long way. And so I think it's actually a really, it's a much more exciting time for the scene because you, you'll, get, you'll get lots of, of really good entrepreneurs and they'll be well supported. Do you reckon the Australians sort of we've found our flavour, our own identity compared to all the others? Like what makes Australia different to other international markets, you reckon? Um, well, I think Australians are relatively entrepreneurial bunch, but, um, but some of the, uh, you know, some of the broader macro pieces just, just haven't been there, just in, in terms of the, the capital mar- maturity of the capital markets, to be able to accommodate this as a sector in its own right, um, in terms of the large corporates dominating the the scene in terms of the battle for talent culturally there's been a conservatism there so um so i don't know exactly what's um you know and you know i don't think we're necessarily any better than a a uk or a us or a um you know parts of of asia but i think it's just a coming of age in, in this market it's it's no longer you no longer have to get in the plane and go to london or san francisco to participate in the in a thriving startup ecosystem right well, let's talk Athena. Where did the idea come from? Did you have it while you're still at NAB? Where, how did the idea evolve and how did you launch it? Yeah, so um, it's an interesting one because a lot of people thought that Nathan and I were cooking away on that idea for a very long time at work and we just weren't. Um, the rumours were swirling around, well, were Well, when we quit, the, the assumption was that that was a year in the making, but it wasn't. We met, uh, Nathan and I met in um, 2017, at, in February 2017, um, we had breakfast and it was Nathan's idea. He was he had this vision that um, you know, and and, and Nathan Walsh, uh, the other co-founder, he basically set up and established NAB Trade within NAB. So he took NAB Trade from a PowerPoint slide to a fully fledged trading platform. So he'd done that entrepreneurial thing where he'd actually built a business, albeit within a corporate environment. And he was he and I were both looking for the next thing. And the the mood at NAB at the time and the leadership at NAB was very much. Um, the cards were stacked against people like Nathan and I. They were looking for external, you know. I think these days, NAB's a little bit better led these days than it was then. And um, so it may not have happened, but so we were looking for the next thing. He had the idea. I said, and I think he'd, pro- he'd probably been thinking about it and talking to one or two people, but when he, when he spoke to me about it, I said, mate, I would quit my job tomorrow and do this with you. This, we, should do this. we should go ahead and do this. And that was February. We got really excited by it in March and we decided to quit and we had to sort of had these conversations with our families saying we're going to take these how did that go well you know (laughs) 
I mean, my, my wife was like, you're going to do this, aren't you? And I'm like, well, prob- probably. <laughs> Sell on the vision, you know, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, I had to, that was the only job interview I had for Athena. I had to go and meet um, Elizabeth, who's uh, Nathan's wife, uh, to get the all clear there. So um, That's so funny. It sounds like a bit like when Locke quit. When I, we yeah. planned my week to quit to start well yep. Bands, I was like, oh, I planned out for about a month and said, oh, all right, if I quit here, we'll be able to start the next year. Locke beat me to it. He goes, oh, if you're quitting today, I'm quitting today. And he called yeah. up and quit before I quit. There you go. <laughs> he well, just made the decision on the day and just made the call. Is that's it a feeling though? It's like when you're going through this and going, fuck, we can, we can actually make this work. Was it the confidence in like, yeah, I, we trust each other and this idea is brilliant? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's one of those ones where there was enough there. There was enough there. We, we, we thought we had the experience, the contacts and, the, and the, um, to be able to drive that business uh, there and started up uh, and so that was um and so we got really excited i think it was april or very early may that we handed in our resignations um there now we we left very gracefully on really good terms with the bank um and you know we got really good still really good re- relationships into um into nab um and, and so i was eventually i scaled back my commitments at nab to you know eventually one day a month and sort of was out of there by July and we started we we started with a seed round of three million bucks and we had that lined up um, and Macquarie led that round and we had that lined up by the time we'd sort of um, were serving our our um, gardening leave um, so that's where we started three million dollars seed round we had about um, three or four really um, well trusted leadership team members to start with. we started with quite a senior experienced team to to who could really roll their sleeves up and really help um, build the thing um, and that was mid 2017 um, and and then it was a year and a half before uh, you know in terms of building it out and lining up the funding and um, piloting with friends and family and stuff before we launched in February 2019 to the public. Was one of the things of like going through that process going through the seed funding round or what was it like getting your stuff organized and going all right this is like were you comfortable with the process or something that you were you knew how to do was it something like I know you went through that obviously back at Ice Lake, but I think times passed since you're doing stuff. How what was it like then? Yeah, I mean, I think we were lucky enough that we got a lot of interest, um, maybe because the idea was compelling and they, they saw us as credible and experienced enough to that we didn't actually have to do incredible detailed plans or materials there for that seed round. There, there, there was a there was a little bit of um. All right, let's get on with it. Let's get into the term sheet and let's, let's back these these people. And again, I do think that's a little bit of a sign of the times, right? Um, in this country, that you can you, you will get backing. We 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 had we certainly had options in terms of raising the money, which was really positive. Um, so we didn't we didn't see it. Uh, it's not necessarily a typical journey. I, I think the one we went through there. Um, yeah, so we didn't. We didn't have to do a whole lot of work for that. It was mainly after the after that that was the hard part. I feel like a lot of people might think, "Oh, it's easy to just go like that and do this." But you've spent like ten years building that out and developing them skills, and you've done it before. How it, that that is the credibility. That is yeah. the hard work. It's not an overnight thing where it's like, "Oh, all of a sudden you had a great idea and it happened." It's like, no, it's all the work that you done previously that you get the cred for, that you get the opportunities yeah. and and the help and support. That's for sure. And and the people that you know, like yeah. the people you know, is so important along the journey and. I think, um, and you, you know, if not for that eight and a half years at NAB, I w- there's no way I would have had the, the sort of the network that then helped us for the subsequent um, phase of the journey. And, and, and Nathan would probably say the same thing. And I think um, in terms of, yeah, the credentials, it's a, it's a heavily regulated industry. It's an industry that you can't be a cowboy when you're lending to our mums and dads. They're people's homes. They're a really important part of, you know, their financial lives. And um, so you, you sort of 
it's one of those ones. There's lots of businesses where you could probably start up when you're, you know, in your early 20s and, you know, that's mortgage is probably not one of those. When, you, when it's gone from idea stage, you've got your three million bucks, you've gone out to start, let's start building it, getting it ready. What were some of the signs and signals that you were looking for to say, perfect, we're hitting these things, let's proceed, let's go further? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we put a lot of emphasis on um, building building the tech and the platform, the, the, the actual platform and the product. Um, and I think, you know, if I compare it to others in the financial services industry, which is heavily regulated, so you do need licenses, et cetera, but we didn't we didn't sort of commandeer all of our budget just to get our credit license. We really started to build stuff, right? And that was, I think, a, um, I think we did that right in terms of the emphasis of how we spent our time. Um, and so the milestones were really to demonstrate that we had taken an end-to-end mortgage flow and that we understood the components needed and we'd built out a, a rudimentary platform that could do, to process that. And that allowed us to then um, raise the next round of capital we needed to um, prepare for launch um, and then the funding piece was um, so if you think about what we do we, we, there was three things we need to do to build the business right we had to um, we had to have a, a, a mortgage platform that could um, originate and service mortgages we need to be able to sell those mortgages so we need an acquisition strategy and a brand and a marketing and a take-to-market strategy but then we need to fund them as well and uh, you know each mortgage is five hundred thousand. You think about it, you sell 100 mortgages, you need 50 mil. You sell 1,000 mortgages, you need 500 mil. So that funding piece was probably the piece that we maybe were overly optimistic on at the start of our journey, and that was a lot of hard work stitching up. The, the that's your field too, isn't it? The funding, <laughs> uh, that's, kind of, <laughs> that's kind of where, um, yeah, so we, Nathan and I, when we kind of broadly divide our responsibilities on the business, mine was more on getting the funding and as opposed to the, the lending side of the business. Um, and that was, um, yeah, that was really tough. We, we wore through a lot of shoe leather. I mean, we would have had 200 meetings around the country with different people and uh, eventually getting some little MOU that, uh, that was signed that we could then wave in front of you know, investors and get on the first rung of the, of the funding ladder. And, of course, it, it gets easier after you're established, but that, that first piece was really hard. If I read right, it was like I'm, I don't know if I'm pulling a number yeah. out my ass here, but it was like two billion bucks or something. Didn't you have to get like? Is that right? We've got no. Well, not to begin with. So we've got now we've settled about three and a half billion. We've got about um, our loan books about two point eight billion dollars. Um, so we've had to, of course, um, ramp up to that scale of funding program over the last two two or three years. But when we first launched, we we didn't have nearly that much. We had just enough to get get through the first few months. And, and we'd lined up conversations with wholesale funders that would um, uh, that would then um, help us continue the journey, yeah. Tell us about the rules and regs and compliance and scaling that because it, it must be hard. There's so many different little hoops you've got to go through. How hard is it to scale quickly with all the rules, regs and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I mean, you've got to have a sort of reg tech mindset to financial services because you're right. It's a it's a heavily regulated industry. It should be regulated because otherwise, can you imagine people would lose their their houses, right? So it's <laughs> right. The Wild West, there. Yeah, yeah. No, no way. They're not us so, there, are they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we saw. I think we sort of embraced the complexity, the regulatory complexity, and we backed ourselves to solve that better than the banks. Because if you think about it. Um, you know, how do you, how do you solve for regulatory complexity? You build it into an elegant origination process. You, you have a focus on capturing the right data, having the right conversations. 
um, and systematizing things so that you do have good quality um, through there. So we sort of embraced it um, and saw it as a competitive advantage that with a complex regulatory framework, we could solve that better than the banks by starting with a blank sheet of paper and a really good um, approach to technology. Um, so the regulation we're talking about is largely around responsible lending and what you you owe it to your customers to make sure that um, uh, that that this is the right product for them and that you're not overextending a customer or putting them in a difficult financial situation. And then, of course, you see COVID come and that really brings it home to you how important that those protections are, both your both both from your own credit point of view, but also from the responsible lend point of view right well because if you didn't think too much about it and all of a sudden this shit hits you going oh fuck what's in there that we've what we've missed you could have hurt a lot of people so and we didn't and we had brilliant performance through that period and and um and i think that sort of gave us the credentials then to go, go to the next level one of the things i think that stands out for both Locke and i when we think and talk about athena is is the brand it's the yeah. research we've done beforehand it's like the the tone of voice it's how you guys portray yourselves it's not traditional banky doesn't feel yeah. like that how important was it to portray it like that and how much thought and depth and all yeah. that sort of stuff went into creating that it's really really important and i think a lot of people who look at an online digital um mortgage proposition they probably narrow it down and think it's all about digitizing the application form and that's the main thing but it's but the whole proposition and and a lot of the innovations that we've done are, are in the uh, the way that the mortgage is priced and the, the actual proposition, and then taking that to market with a creative brand. I mean, we had a we we hired our chief marketing officer long, long before we launched, and we put a lot of thought into the brand and the positioning and and all the rest. And we've got um, we've got this unbelievable CMO. Her name's uh, Natalie Dinsdale. She just actually won Female FinTech of the Year um, award in the in the Finneys. I don't know if you saw that. Shout out! Um, so shout out to Nat. You know, she's just amazing, the amount of energy she brings to it and the amount of expertise she brings to it. We we saw it as a category which was crying out for a challenger there to to speak very differently to people. And it's actually the advantage of being an attacker. If you're a Commonwealth bank, it's probably hard. We, we had When we launched, we had, I don't know if you saw this in Melbourne because they didn't allow us to do it on the trams, but we had these buses in Sydney, the bondage buses. It had like bondage... Uh, painted on bondage material wrapped around it and said, well, you know, we're, we're free of your mortgage bondage. And we had these really interesting and cheeky campaigns. We dropped the F-bomb on our, on our website. Um, you know, I, I never had a What's meeting. What's the tagline? It's not about getting a home loan, it's about getting rid of your fucking home loan. Is that That's what right. it is? Love us, and, love us and leave us, we say. Love us, but leave us because you, we want you to, you know, get rid of your home loan. So all of that came from Nat. I mean, she really drove that whole positioning and um, – you know, when you're an attacker, you you can afford to 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 be edgy, right? Because you don't have to, you know, you won't get in trouble if you just if you piss off one percent of the people. So you'll actually the last thing you want to do is be boring, right? Yeah, it's the benefits to starting off new, fresh again. It's like a clean slate. Right. I'm sure that you're at NAB and you're going, well, if I was to do it my way, it'd be like this, or I'd try things like that. Yeah, but you'd get in trouble, and you'd, there'd be too much <laughs> negativity around it. Whereas when you're an attacker, yeah. You know, no one. If you get a complaint, it's like, well, if you don't get a complaint, you're probably not being interesting enough. So, is that the most? Is that, that the most fun part? You reckon about doing that is about like just going. Well, we can yeah. sort of just bend the rules and do it how we like. 
Yeah, I mean, well, certainly from a from a position point of view, we can't we can't of course bend any of the other rules. Yeah, right? yeah. the other rules are pretty firm. Um, but that's what makes it cool, though. The yeah. contrast is like you need to be so trustworthy and 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 all that with that stuff, but yeah. you can afford to be a bit cheeky on the other side and it's going. Absolutely. Well, hang on, that's a bit that's a bit different. Yeah. I'll, I'll, it's cool, isn't it? Absolutely. You can have the two facets. Yeah. We we actually it's interesting you use the word tone of voice. We we talk about a tone of voice. We've got someone in who helps us not only on our ads and stuff, but even in our customer comms, when you get a, an approval or um, when, when there's a messaging that goes out, we think a lot, a lot about the tone of voice and the informality of it and how do, you, how do you do this in an Athena way, which is completely different to the tone of voice you'd get from a, from a big bank, right? And so it's been a very deliberate piece that... Has it helped with like talent attraction? And obviously, you've gone through this part, you've, you've scaled, you had a, a small team to kick off... Now, small, trustworthy, small trustworthy senior experienced people mm. coming in, but now it's like you got to get the foot soldiers, you got the right right type of talent yeah. in. As doing focusing on the brand, focusing on the tone of voice really helped with the talent attraction. Oh, uh, no doubt, and I think it's got it's something that's getting easier for us over time because as we be- become more established and and as we've created attention in the market, then people have heard of us and they've that we've seen as doing interesting things, and that could be the tone of voice, but even just um, even just the awareness in general help helps. So, um, you know, we we are um, you know it's becoming in the war for talent. It's becoming easier for us. We still obviously have to fight for talent and you've got the likes of Canva raising money at $55 billion <laughs> sometimes poaching our engineers. But um, but we are certainly in a materially different place now with having established who we are in our brand and even our new office and we just moved into a great new space up in Sydney uh, there and I think we that's, gonna, that's just another evolution of being in a place where people want to work. How are you going to use it? I'm really interested to know because I imagine yep. that everyone would have gone, you would have everyone been working from yep. home, everyone been doing stuff. We're sitting in this space now where we're trying to think of it more like a studio space where it's like creative and workshoppy rather than like everyday punching out work. Yeah. How are you using the office for Athena? Yeah, so we, you know, total change of mindset over COVID in terms of how we fit out the place. Just before COVID, we were about to, we were outgrown our previous office, which was a, a, appropriate for us at the time, but it was a boring sort of office and we weren't at the scale where we could really invest in it and we were about to um scale up into a much bigger space and luckily we didn't because we would have been paying for two empty offices for two years um so we how are we going to use it well um it's it's much more centered around collaboration so that yes there are um, desks for operational teams etc but we've put a, a big amount of space into uh you know uh, collaboration spaces where Product and tech teams can work on on different parts of the of the business together. We we see it as very much a um, uh, you know a horses for courses approach to working in the office. I, I I think a lot of you have to be a little bit careful about the lessons drawn out of COVID in the early days because you trade off pre existing relationships. You've you've had connections in the office and that gives you a certain momentum to deliver efficiently when you work remotely. But uh, you know we we are. Um, we're, we're pretty sure that co-location is important for certain types of collaboration. It might, might be three days a week, not five, mm-hmm. in the co-location space. And it's particularly important for operational teams because it's very hard. We've got 40 people we've just onboarded who haven't met yeah, 100%. Else's team. That's very hard. Into. That's what yeah. we're about to get into. It's like, it's like if we talk to so many different people who have fundamentally their businesses have either – if they've gone well through COVID, it means that they've – a lot of these people who had whatever the Athena culture – say I'll use the Athena as an example – is that they've – they had that culture, which is the people who were able to experience it and the physical space and the connection yeah. and stuff was part of that. 
And now you've got to try and onboard people remotely and Emulate try and the same thing, give them yeah. the same sort of experience or build it. And it's sort of like, it's really interesting to think about because I don't think anyone's got the, the golden ticket to what is the solution. But I, I do, I'm with you, I do think it's a mix of face-to-face interactions are still very, very, very much important. Yep. And I don't know if like, I know like some of these companies like Twitter and that, they're like, we're going remote forever and we're going like, mm. if you're the big ones, maybe. But I feel like if you're trying to build something that still has like, real connection that's not this monstrous thing that you need to be able to have those touch points with people and do what we're doing now, share a drink and yeah. share something to eat, share a meal and get to know people. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I think we we um, worked incredibly effectively remotely because um, everything was on the cloud. Uh, you know, I remember we, we decided on the Thursday to um, go remote. This is right back at the start of COVID. On the Friday, we told people to take the monitor home and the next week we were gone and we and we didn't miss a beat. So on the one hand, it worked really, really well. But on the other hand, we were, uh, in my view, trading off relationships that had been built and tight relationships among senior people who um, – and then over time, as, as you have turnover and growth in your business, you don't have that and you need that, right? And um, so – uh, and, and particularly because we're changing quickly, right? We, we're improving our operations and rolling out change to teams who have to work with that. And you know, I was speaking to um, the guy who heads up our, our sort of sales and, and loan expert team the other week, and a fabulous um, guy, really, really good. And and he was saying to me, God, the experience of the last month onboarding people into uh, operational teams has been so challenging because they're at home, they they need help, they can't just turn left and right. And, and, and get it from their supervisor or their buddy. Uh, you have to schedule a Google Meet to ask a question and it goes for 15 right. minutes and you're that's like, right. hang on. Yeah. So, I, I mean, so I'm, I'm very much of the view of you try and get the best of both worlds. There's no doubt that some solitary work for a coder who's they've got together to work out the solution, now they've got to go home and code it. It's probably more effective in some instances by you know, just getting, um, getting some quiet time at home. But equally, you know, so you, you need to use, use the best of both worlds. Do you like working from home? Uh, I like it uh, to a point, but not at the moment. But at the moment, I've been five days a week at home for two years, so no. You wake up out no. of bed, get the laptop out, and it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's just- uh, I to the point where I'm sort of sick. I've got a beautiful study at home, um, amazing workplace that we were sort of in, in some ways we were prescient in when we built our house, and but you know, I feel caged in there after two years of it. So two days a week, great. Yeah. Five days, no way. Uh, I'm with you. We're, we've been doing it for the last two years. We've, since we've got this space, it's been yeah. a bit of a game changer. It's felt like we've been able to have a breath of fresh air, get some different scenery, not sitting in our room, not talking to people on the Zoom calls and they're seeing our same background, they're seeing my clothes hanging up on a clothes horse out the back. I'm like, I'm over that. Well, well, tell us, you mentioned a few times networking, and I feel like that's something that when we started the podcast, we realised how important that was, especially like we, we haven't set a limit to a podcast, and it's like, well, if we do this for five years and we're doing two guests a week, imagine all the people we can meet. Yeah. You mentioned it before, like getting them senior execs and knowing them for years, how important is maybe going out to them events and meeting these people or, or going virtually and, and making sure that you're you know, meeting up with people? Yeah, I, you know, uh, the network that, um, that we brought um, to, to the start of this journey was absolutely instrumental in, in setting up Athena. And if, if I think, uh, and a lot of it was we got through um, positions at NAB, but if I think of um, on multiple levels, so even just the equity funding, we knew people to approach in the likes of Macquarie and some of the VCs um, on the equity side. On the... Um, the debt funding approach, we were able to sort of pick up the phone and get advice from someone like Michael Rice, who was actuary of the year, uh, founder of Rice Warner, which has since sold to Deloitte. Um, 
on the people side, you know, Nathan's connection to engineering firms in Sydney, um, they found us, a guy called Pete Giorgio, who's our chief technology officer, incredible, uh, incredible guy, and um, we, we knew him through the network. I mentioned that before, our marketing, uh, our chief marketing officer, that was through uh, our network, um, but uh, someone from the NAB marketing team, I, I asked him, you don't know any good marketing people up in Sydney, and he connected us. Same with our, our full leadership team um, were people that we, we, we knew before. Um, and then you talk about debt funding and the challenges we had, um, and you know we uh, we were helped out by um, you know Re- Resimac because of connections into the Resimac team when we first got onto our, the first rung of our funding piece. Uh, the the wholesale funding guys, particularly at NAB, we we were closely connected into them. Um, they they helped. Um, fund us and and they're still an important funding partner so just in every aspect of our business whether it's the the people who've built it the consulting firms that have helped us the debt funding the equity funding it has all come down to um context and people really want to help right they want to help they want to when you go out and do and you put your balls on the line and quit your job and go and do something like people want to want to see you succeed and so we found any number of people even if they haven't got skin um an interest in athena they just want to help us which has been amazing I was going to say, tell us about stress because I figure you're doing that many different things and, and stuff with like funding and money of that magnitude, it must bear with it a weight where you're like, it could keep you up at night sometimes. That would stress me out. That would uh, stress me out, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's possibly the, the things that are least in your control are the things that stress you out the most, right? Yeah. So um, you, we knew we had to um, build a great proposition and platform, but, but we, that was in our control. The people that we... Uh, that were on the team were amazing and and were incredibly hardworking, and we knew that uh, that they would get there. We knew we could build a good brand and we could sell mortgages. The funding side, you do have to convince wholesale funders to part with, as I said, billions of dollars, and that the markets are sometimes there, they're sometimes not there. And at the moments, at key moments, that has been very stressful. So before launch, getting that first. Funding piece that was in, incredibly hard, and we had a date we were working towards, and we needed to line the money up. And then when COVID hit, was another time where the whole market, for a moment there, and luckily it wasn't such a long moment. But for a moment there, it looked like it was going to be another GFC, right, where all of the wholesale funding markets were going to dry up, and that lasted six weeks where I didn't get a lot of sleep. Um, so the, the it's always the pieces that are least in your control, and you do have to you do have to. You know, at, at some point, I think we, we did a bit of a town hall and someone said, well, what's your advice during COVID? Because everyone was going through stress, whether it was in their personal lives or linked to their job or whatever. And, uh, you know, my, my piece there was, look, you just focus on what is in your control. You know, you can't help that the world's gone to shit. <laughs> but you can get on the phone and talk to everyone you know and you can try and um, try and solve it that way. Um, you know, you can't help that there's a global pan- pandemic, but you can follow the health guidelines, you can get the vaccination, you can do all the things that are in your control. Uh, and that, for me, is the way to alleviate stress. Do the things that you can control and don't stress about the things you can't. Athena got named uh, on the AFR's most innovative company. What, one of the what our co-founder Tammy is so passionate about the overuse of the word innovation and people just saying, "Oh, we're innovating." When well, they're just is, you're doing right? a bug fix. You're not innovating. You're doing a bug <laughs> yeah. fix. You know, like what does innovation mean to you, and why do you think that yeah. um, you've been awarded some of these sort of accolades? I think it's a really interesting one, and I'd probably agree with her in the sense that um, it is overused. 
that a lot, lots of times, innovation is um, is narrowed down to um, technical um, technical solutions, and often for us, innovation has been almost a first principles look at the the market. The the innovation award was actually for something not that technical. It was the way in which we price our mortgages, and if you think about the history of uh, mortgages in this country or the current state of mortgages, is it's very non-transparent. You go and try and negotiate with your banker, they give you a discount off the standard variable rate. That might be different to what someone else is getting. The more safe you are as a customer, the higher you, you pay because you've been on the books for 10 years, you have safe as houses, and yet you get charged more than a new customer. And so our innovation was really um, what we were rewarded uh, on the innovation was for actually rethinking from first principles, how that should be done. And think about other parts of your life. Utilities are the same. Your telcos, your electricity, all that sort of stuff. <coughs> Discounts to new customers while they're ripping off um, loyal existing customers. So I think for us that innovation is um, not so much um, technology. We think we've got brilliant technology and, and you know, we could have got innovation on just on the instant approval process that we put in place and that sort of thing. But... Um, but just thinking from first principles and doing something quite substantial in a in a large market, which and, and we think we've done that with our the way we structure our product and pricing there. Well, you change the lives of other people, the customers. You know what I mean. And I feel mm. like a lot of innovation might come internally, and it might be good for the staff of the company or the internal pro- process and that. But innovation, where it's actual fixes your customers' problems, thinking from their lens is a bit different, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And you can have a very funky um, website or even origination process and app form bit of all you're doing is um, is having a, a you know a shiny front door onto a, a product yeah. that is that you're gonna uh, that you overcharge for the next 30 years and that's not yeah. to your point that's not innovation that's that's actually a different way, way of highway robbery right well how do you think about that then what are you I'm, I'm tipping you'd read a lot, you'd do a lot of research, you'd, you'd um, meet a lot of people and pick their brains. Like, how, how do you learn these new things and keep up to date with everything that's going on and maybe some of the inspirations that you've seen from other companies and going, fuck, we can do this in our way or spin it through this? Or Yeah, that's changed. I mean, I, I think this is the curse and the blessing of iPads and screens and stuff. I used to read so much more than I do. I, I used to read at least a book if not every week, every two weeks. And this is back, you know, 10 or 10, 20 years, 10, you 20 years ago. You know, lots of books. But what's on, what's on the bookshelf now? What's on the nightstand? Um, so right now I'm reading Stephen Pinker's new book, Rationality. So, and I, I, he's one of my favourite authors and I've read um, all, all of his books except for this one, which is brand new. So I'm busy reading that. Um, but I, I have to confess lately I've been buying books at a faster pace than I've actually been reading them. And I do blame the iPad and the screens for that because – there's other forms. There's podcasts, uh, which and I love listening to podcasts. There's, um, you know, YouTube's. There are. Um, I've got Flipboard on my iPad where I just read random crap, you know, from all <laughs> yeah. domains. Yeah. And I sometimes sort of think, wow, there's just too much of an overload. I, I should actually shelve that and get back to reading <clears throat> good books. Because um, can you, can you get like? Info obesity kind of thing where it's like you could, you know, like you're just taking on board so much information where it's like you but lose shit. track of, yeah. yeah, it's just like my head's full of fucking yeah. junk now, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, I think you can, I think we're all in danger of that. And I think a couple of summers ago, I sort of set aside all that and, and went back to books and tried to and cracked through some really good books, and it was quite 
cathartic and I think I might want to try and do that again this summer. But So I do like reading um, and I sort of miss it. Yeah. What about other companies? Are there other people out there that you're looking, whether it's inside your industry, outside your industry, that you are not poaching or stealing inspiration from, but I feel like that's... Liking what they're doing. Liking yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, lots. I mean, particularly in our industry, over, we've been... Um, we look overseas, you know. So in Australia, banks account for like 94% of mortgages, all mortgages. In the US, banks probably account for about 40% of mortgages. So the non-bank capital really? funded sector is huge. Rocket Mortgage, which is doing more or less what we're doing, um, but have been have been at it for longer. They're now something like 10% of the market, the biggest, the biggest lender in America. So and give you well, that's got to be you know. But our capital markets haven't quite supported this, and even our regulatory environment hasn't supported this. Look what happened in COVID. The first reaction of the RBA was to give the banks two hundred billion dollars of free money, and we weren't included in that. Mm -hmm. Fuck fuckers. (laughs) But um, and they deny that it was a problem anyway. Um, so in in America, through um Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, they um they channeled uh, uh I guess. Stimulate capital market stimulation to a much broader set of um, of entities. There, in in the in Europe, uh, in Holland, there are super funds and pension uh, sorry pension funds and insurance companies that buy portfolios of mortgage or originate directly portfolios of mortgages. So imagine your your big super funds in this country or your insurers, rather than buying bank equity, bank notes and having bank deposits and essentially funding the full mortgages, but through a bank, they, they buy the mortgages directly. So that's another innovative funding model uh, in mortgages. So we, we spend a lot of time thinking about what Australia could look like if the capital market supported a mortgage play that was more like Europe or North America. And if we were even 20% of that, then we'd be huge. Yeah. Uh, so th- those are that. But then, of course, we, we, we love looking um, – we, we've got Slack channels on marketing and product and people are always posting different um, things that they like from that someone else has done. And sometimes it's a competitor. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, it, it's just a, a great ad of like Nike's come up with an, just an inspirational ad and that just that's a heart play that we need to try and emulate. Yeah. We're sitting here sharing a heaps normal. They're our sponsor of the show, non-alcoholic beer. The question we ask all our guests is, what is your version of heaps normal? What's the thing that you turn to when you're looking to get some energy back in your life? Yeah, so I um, we just talked about how, what a hack I am in golf, and I do I do enjoy that. <laughs> so um, what you were saying, you were saying you were swinging uh, up grass, uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I am sipping a heaps normal. And I love and I actually love heap, heaps normal because everyone wants a beer, but it's just at some stage it gets too much, and you want an alcohol-free drink. So. You know, I do a lot of socialising in terms of um, sport. I, I, I was telling you chaps earlier, I play indoor soccer on a Thursday night, which is which I love. I've always looked forward to that that session on a Thursday night indoor soccer. Attacker or defender? Uh, attacker. I, I can't. I don't have the fitness to run back and defend properly. <laughs> so, a bit of smack uh, talk try. out there. He's <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard though. Like the fitness wise, it must oh, keep. Mate. I didn't think uh, futsal when I've only played like one yeah. game, and I was like, oh my god, I was wrecked after it. Like just the the cardio yeah. up and back. Oh, I um, we play against twenty or like kids in their twenties, <laughs> and they're all big and it's, it's physical, and we're the old men of the comp now, uh, so it's a, it's a challenge. Um, but you know what else do I do? I I used I, I actually even though I'm a commercial person, I, I studied computer science and electrical engineering, and I've always been interested in computers. And I actually program computers as a hobby, just. Just just muck around, and although that again with COVID now my desk computer is my work computer. I just 
I don't want to be uh, at my computer all the time. So I've started to tinker around with a little bit of electronics again uh, in the last little while as a another lockdown hobby. Um, what are you building? Like what, what, when we say you're, you're tinkering around, what are you building? Uh, audio audio amplifiers, um, and that signal generators and audio amplifiers just to muck around. Like not, not nothing better than you could buy at the shop, but just. Just, just building it yourself. Build, and just it. building it. And, um, Your YouTube and that sort of stuff and mm. looking how to do it. To yeah, just keep absolutely. your mind off things. and Because I, I can imagine it'd be super stressful. Like you'd be on, on the ball all the time when you're with, in terms of Athena. Yeah, I mean, one thing you know, one, one thing's different at Athena versus, let's say, my job at the bank. At the bank, I had eight weeks' worth of meetings locked in. If someone uh, – it was embarrassing. If someone wanted to, like, let's say a younger person wanted to sit down with some career advice or something – they're trotting in my diary, my, my PA would say, well, you can see them in, you know, December, mid-December. And I'm like, surely I can fit this person in for a bit of a chit-chat. And she goes, well, where? Where are you going to do it? And she'd show me eight, eight weeks worth eight of, weeks. of calendar. And that's – but just because of what you – just the bureaucracy of what you end up involved with, particularly when you're in these sort of crossroads-type roles there. And Athena, you know, like Nathan and I, we don't, we don't allow our, our diaries to be hijacked to the extent that we don't have time to – um, do interesting things and meet interesting people and we do have um, very very good people to run the parts of the business so we don't have to get um, we dive in certainly to parts of the business but we don't spend 90 percent of our time totally in the weeds that's but not where you started is it that's it's no. like hey well if yeah. we can do it our way it's like how important is the life aspect to my life you know rather than yeah. just the whole work thing it's like we can set this up differently but you're less effective if you're just if it's just a total rat race you need time to you don't know where the good ideas are going to come from having a chit chat like this uh or meeting someone interesting and different or going to a, a session where it's something a bit peripheral so you, you just don't know where it's going to come from and if all you're doing is running from one thing to the next the whole time I think you're less effective. Something you mentioned before off air, which is um, you're also in your doing your own personal investing journey. You're dabbling in investing in some other different companies. What got you passionate about doing some of that stuff? Yeah, and it's it's more uh, well, it, the the Athena piece has actually, <clears throat> I guess, given me a profile where I get approached a lot by different people, and certainly a lot of. Most of, the, most of the time, most of the examples of the businesses that I've invested in are people that I used to work with at NAB, and so I know the person. And there's a bit of a talent arbitrage there. Like, I just know they're going to make it work. So there's a few examples of that. Um, so a lot of it was sort of being approached just on the basis of what we're doing at Athena and then just getting interested. And, I, and I'm 150% now in Athena, but you know, I do look forward to the day where I could spend more time you know, with other startups and doing other things. But some of the ones that, it, that I'm in, like Muso amazing business they approached me off the back of reading the name of the newspaper and just wanting some advice on capital so i connected to them some people and now i've got together and invested a little bit of money with a group of friends in that and they connect live music to um uh venues and they're they're about to go international it's an amazing company and i'll you should get them on the podcast um lug and carry a former colleague has started a e-bike um service where you lease the e-bikes and, may, and it's for people who are carting stuff around and kids and all the rest and was very successful he's about he's launched in sydney now he's, he's all over melbourne um we money uh, we mentioned before um class solver which is a education software piece so there's there's four or five of them um but it's mainly 
opportunistic. It's not like it's uh, – I'd love one day to do that more systematically, but that's five or ten years away. Is that a different type of satisfaction, though, when you're helping other people and, and it feels like a different sense of what you're sort of building on, the, on what you – you know, with Athena, it must feel good, like, being able to help yeah. and advise. Oh, absolutely, and you get a lot out of it and you get connections out of it and they get connections and um, – and, and you get ideas, right? It's it's back to that cross pollination of ideas in different industries and different um, and interesting people who, um, you know, who you're backing. Yeah. How do you balance everything? I know we talk about work life balance a little bit, but we talk more like work life integration. Like I feel like it's all pretty much rolled into one. How do you manage to do all that? Yeah, well, I think that that actually is a much better. I haven't heard that before, but that is a much better version because the work life balance it sort of implies that when you go to work, you're not living your life. And if you're in that situation, then you've got the wrong job because your job should be engaging and fun and it should be part of your, a big part of your life. Um, but, you know, I've got a big family, so I do need time with uh, outside of work. Um, don't work massively crazy hours. There are obviously, there are intense periods where, you know, you have to pull the weekend to do X, Y and Z. Um, but, you know, try to manage it sensibly and i think the travel piece you know i was going to sydney every single week for a, a night or two and i think that probably will scale back a little bit to help on the balance side did you ever go through a stage of burnout or anything like that where you were just like oh my god this is fucking crazy no i think um the pieces that are in our control as i said were were, were in our control the pieces that stressed us were things that you anyway couldn't control so no point burning yourself out over that yeah um so I don't think we've experienced that. And Nathan and I have this in common. We both handle pressure quite well. So we don't um, we don't overreact. We keep a steady ship. Like you know, thrive. Like where's the opportunity in this kind of thing? How are yeah, we going to do this? Yeah. yeah, we don't overreact to, to external events. that, And we don't let ourselves get derailed easily by um, things that are out of con- control. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Muso before. I want to know some of what's on what's on the, the iPod at the moment, huh? Uh, the the iPod, iPod shuffle, huh? Yeah, I've gone back to listening to my Pink Floyd albums. Actually, um, yeah. I, I was on the plane the other day, and it came up the there was a uh, live Pink Floyd live oh. sort of video. Oh, and, man, psychedelic, yeah, oh, yeah. unbelievable stuff. And so I, um, but I listened to all sorts of different music, all sorts of different music. And, and this time of the year, I start to agitate to, for the family to start uh, allowing me to play the Christmas carols. Oh, really? And, uh, You're a Christmas Carol I'm type of cat? Christmas, I am a Christmas Carol sort of guy. What, Mariah Carey, Michael Bublé, what is it? Michael Bublé comes out of the, he comes out of the caves every time at Christmas, <laughs> well, doesn't he? More the Rat Pack and the Vera Lynn um, <laughs> side of things there. But, do you so go no. door knocking? Do the carols and just <laughs> with the fam? No, no? I can't do that, man. No one wants to listen to me sing. <laughs> no one wants to listen to me sing those, man. <laughs> My wife's like that. She loves Christmas. She'll listen to them in like June, July. I'm thinking, I can't. Is I that can't. George no. Michael song? Oh, I'm off a grill. It just keeps going. Yeah. I don't know, or whatever it is. Crazy. What about we're near, near the end of 2021, we're heading into 2022. What are you excited about for the rest of this year and what, do, what, do, what can we expect from Athena and, and from yourself yeah. for 2022? Yeah, well, it's actually a huge uh, little period for Athena because we spent we, – we rushed to market with a relatively basic product, which was still great in terms of how it's priced and the value it's given to our customers. So it's been a wonderful product. But we, we have done a lot of, uh, I would say, under-the-water work over the last two years and we're about to launch with a flourish of really we've just launched our fixed product we're about to launch a um a mobile app an offset account and way upgraded payments functionality so the sorts of so if you get an athena loan now you're you're much more like a package product for a, for a bank that people are paying 400 bucks a year for a much higher interest rate so there's a period now between now and the end of this year which will see lots of really exciting um things launch at, at athena 
So super excited about that. We feel very well supported from from our funders and we've got an agenda to carry on sort of innovating the products next year. So uh, it's really, really out of the startup mode and into the scale-up mode, right, at, at Athena now, which is exciting. Do you set long, long-term goals or short-term goals or a bit of both? A bit of both, Horizon 1, 2, 3. We, we have uh, ambitions to um, that, that will take us, you know, a couple of years um, to get to, but we also carve out the, uh, the, the the roadmap so that we know what's happening in the next um, quarter, and that we've got a fair view of what what's happening in the in the year in the next year. So we've just gone through our planning process for twenty twenty two, and we have a pretty good idea of what we're going to deliver you know, quarter by quarter. Um, but yeah, we, we've also got um, we've also got a couple of big long term ambitions there, which is exciting. Yeah. Excited to see what happens, mate. What about what are you watching at the moment? What's on the TV? What are you, what's on the Netflix uh, reel? Continue watching. What am I? What am I watching at the moment? So I was asking around the other day because I've sort of run out of um, stuff at the moment. Um, I've just I've just watched a couple of these. Um, have you seen The Serpent? Yes. Oh yes. Yeah, I just saw that, and that was addictive, right? Um, is, that, is that the one in Thailand? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I just finished that as well. How crazy yeah, was that? That was crazy. Um, the guy was a weird actor. It was a good. Yeah. It was good. I thought he portrayed it. Whatever he was like, yeah. it was. He yeah. was cool to watch. Yeah, and and you wait till the end before you realize just how real the story was when they thought this person's done this now. So it was actually all true. It's crazy. You like the crime ones? Catching yeah, Killers, bit. mate. That's a new one. It's out. It's good. Catching Killers, yeah. yeah. I've been, I've been, I've, no, but everything. Ted Lasso, what, when, oh, talk, yeah. talking about chilling out. That's an easy yeah, one to watch. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't, we don't watch a lot of TV at home. We just, the TV's not on in, in the morning or during the day. The TV only goes on generally sport, like when Colin was playing or. Oh, you're a pies man. I'm a pies, a pies man. man. Yeah. Oh, we're not, we're not going to hold that against you. <laughs> that's but that's bad. Okay. Do you go to the game? Do you sit in the cheer squad? I well, <laughs> as you know, the last two seasons there hasn't been a lot of oh, opportunity. Yeah, true, yeah. Gone to a couple of games. Um, actually, went to the game where we beat Richmond this year, which was good. But um, look forward to going to some more games next year. Although I don't know how the pies are going to go. New coach, you never know. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Do you go down the Gosh's paddock, have a kick? <laughs> so, uh, that's good. The laughing, he's teasing, but he's a, he's a full Brisbane nuffy, and he uh, he messages all the players and and doesn't oh, even no, after no. after each game he says, "Well done, great game." Just to let him know, you know. Well, <laughs> well, well Troy boy, you know. I, I had the the displeasure of watching Collingwood lose two grand finals in a row to Brisbane. In, Did uh, you go? No, I didn't go to the games. My my daughter was only just born uh, there, but I think it was was it two thousand one, two thousand two, Brisbane one. Yeah, two thousand and two, mm. two thousand three. Yeah, oh, two and three was. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so my el- my eldest daughter was born like two weeks before that two thousand two game, which we nearly won. If you recall, I thought you should have won. I was there, and As I was like, I was going to go home, and I was like, yeah, but the goal went through, and they called it a point, didn't they? Or oh, Ackermanus, it was. Yeah, Ackermanus. Yeah. <laughs> Still haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much for jumping on and talking to us today in the studio down at Torquay. Right. I hope the rain holds off and you get to have you hit a hit a round of golf tomorrow. But uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You know what? I can't wait to go and see Starkey uh, on the golf course. I reckon he, he, as soon as we turned the thing on, he said how bad a swing he was. But before that, he was just all about me, me, me. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I, I reckon he'd be uh, he'd be pretty solid. He said he handles himself under well, well under pressure. So I can imagine he'd be a good putter on the on the on the greens. Say, yeah. oh, I think too much about stuff like that. I reckon I'm thinking, well, maybe I can hit it like that. But that's why we're different. Oh, yeah. I reckon that you're just because you you crumble a bit. <laughs> okay, well, I was in the car the other day, remember, and we went to back. In into the thing and I just sat there for five minutes going, I don't know what to do. Anyway, hey, if you're, 
If you're new to the pod, we drop guest episodes Monday, Thursday, snacks pods. Well, you know what? They come at you hot. Tuesday, Wednesday, hot or not drops Friday and funny business recommends drop when we say it. Oh, you butchered it.